I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Every fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening, plant care, pest control, growing your own fruit and vegetables, container ideas and garden design. Plus we have expert seasonal advice throughout the year. Coming up in this edition, the not-so-humble Umble, a guide to a popular group of flowers which can add easy maintenance interest to any domestic garden. There's so much more than cow parsley. RHS advisors answer your spring gardening questions and, as always, the latest news on RHS garden events across the UK. But first, let's join the experts to hear what jobs they're tackling right now. My name's Matthew Pottage and I'm Deputy Curator here at RHS Garden Wisley. So now we're really into start of summer in a serious way at Wisley. A lot of our tender plants are now coming out. We've still got a slight risk of frost on a night, but generally a lot of our plants, like the cannas, the hedichiums, and a lot of our containerized exotic plants are coming out for the summer. If things will take a light frost, get them out now. Don't leave them sitting around in warm greenhouses. If you've got tender bedding plants, you need to be hardening things off. And that's taking them in at night if there's a risk of frost. But getting things into the ground now while there's still some moisture around, getting things planted, getting things established, trying to be ahead of the game. If you've got in your tender plants, say your penstemons, and you know they'll be safe in the ground, get in any staking, get them watered, apply a granular feed if you're going to do that, if the soil is not very full of nutrient. And then get down and mulch. You can almost do so much of your gardening year now in this month by getting things in the ground, feeding them, mulching them. And that all-important layer of mulch is going to stop months of weeding throughout the summer months ahead. So really try and dedicate some time to get your, get your borders into order, really. And it will save you time later in the summer. My name is Markus Ratscheid, and I am one of the garden managers here at the RHS flagship garden at Wisley. We are now getting into the most busiest period of the year. The bank holiday lurking around the corner at the end of May gives us plenty of things to do. So your tomato plants from your glasshouse need to be hardened off because effectively they are annuals. They have been planted and they are sown in March or in April. They've been pricked out. This means you're taking little seedlings off from your pot, space them into larger pots but again you want to harden them off so they experience the change of temperature and the change of light quality before you take them out of doors ideally on your bank holiday Monday after your breakfast. They need to be planted 
also make sure you have got your succession of other seedlings in your vegetable garden. So your salad border can be a star for this time of the year. Plant lettuces every two weeks. This gives you continuous supply of fresh leaves in your kitchen. Every two weeks you can not only plant the traditional English little gem lettuces, but why don't you try something new? Go for the exciting mixtures of Asian leaf cultivars. There are baby leaf versions of lettuces, there are Asian mixtures, Mitsuma lettuces that you can try and plant, but also, of course, your traditional English little gem um, lettuces. So there's lots to do and keep an eye on them so you've got your space in your vegetable garden. You make sure they are planted every two weeks and this gives you constant enjoyment, not only for yourself, but also for your little friends in the garden, the slugs. And uh, you need to keep an eye on those and you need to manage and you control those in your vegetable garden because not only you are hungry, but they are hungry too. And uh, what you want to do is you want to make uh, slug control measures. Ideally, place out nematodes. The temperatures will be right now. You can get them from our plant center here at RHS Wisley. And uh, they have been mixed into water. They have been uh, irrigated onto your salads. And uh, the nematodes infest the slugs that are staying underground overnight and they are not harmful to your hedgehog, not harmful to your birds, to your robins, but that's a way to control them in your vegetable garden close to nature. You can find out more information about all aspects of plants and gardening techniques on the advice pages of our award-winning RHS website, plus general gardening tips and guides to seasonal jobs. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash advice. I'm Tony Dickerson and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Many less experienced gardeners may be unfamiliar with the term umble, but few will fail to recognise the lacy, flat-topped clusters of flowers that make up cow parsley. But the umble group of plants isn't limited to cow parsley. They also include a wide variety of flowers, all with the characteristic umbrella-like shape. A firm favourite with award-winning garden designers at RHS shows over the last few years, this striking, wildlife-friendly and versatile group of plants has many benefits for domestic gardeners and makes an elegant addition to borders and containers. Phil Clayton, assistant editor of the RHS monthly magazine for members, The Garden, explains. i choose my six favourite umbles. Um, but first, I suppose I'd better explain what umbles actually are. The term umble really refers to any member of the Apiaceae family, uh, which used to be known as the Umbelifery family. So things like cow parsley and a lot of vegetables, actually carrots, celery, parsnips, things like that all belong to the Umble family. But there are an increasing number which are grown by gardeners for their appearance, so for their use in flower borders. To me, there's nothing more lovely than that time in May when you get the roadsides filled with the clouds of cow parsley coming up. That lovely sort of transparent nature that it has with often with bees and other pollinators buzzing around 
really lovely time of the year. But you don't necessarily want cow parsley in your garden. It's an invasive weed, really, although it can be controlled. But there are some other even more attractive umbels which I would recommend. The first one actually is a cultivated selection of cow parsley. It's Anthriscus sylvestris ravenswing. And what makes this plant special is the almost black foliage, which contrasts quite dramatically with the flat heads of white lace-like flowers. It's a very dainty plant, and it's at its best at that moment in spring and early summer when all the foliage is at its most lush and is in full flower. Plant it somewhere fairly moist. Um, In a dry spot, it will soon collapse. But a moist area in light shade, it's the ideal sort of thing for underplanting trees, as long as they've got quite a light canopy. And it will self-seed quite freely around the garden, although some of those seedlings will be green-leaved and they're best extracted. Otherwise, you'll end up with just a load of green cow parsley rather than this lovely dark-leaved form. My second choice... I can't actually choose any one of these these plants, but are the, the, the angelicas. Um, and there are three that spring to mind that I'd particularly recommend. Angelica archangelica, um, which is grown in herb gardens. Um, people, as you, I'm sure you know, candy the stems of angelica. But it actually makes quite an interesting garden plant. It has broad, fairly coarse foliage. But then in summer, early summer, these great huge heads, uh, sort of football-sized heads of green flowers. It's really quite dramatic when it when it's in bloom. The, the flowers appear at about five, maybe even six feet high. The drawback with these flowers are that the flowers all turn very quickly to seed and then the seeds spread all over the garden. Uh, so you have to be a bit careful to remove the seed before um, they drop. But for, for a while, it's a really impressive plant. It's a monocarpic plant, so after it's bloomed, it will die. So you do want a few seedlings uh, to carry on the display um, in a couple of years' time. It usually takes a couple of years to flower. More dramatic, perhaps, is Angelica gygas. It's a slightly smaller plant, but what's interesting about this is that the flowers are ruby red and sort of dome-shaped, these great heads of of flowers, but this really dark, intense ruby colour. It's a very statuesque plant. Um, Flowers later than Archangelica, well into the the summer, um, and is, is usually, again, monocarpic, but sometimes plants will flower for a second time. The third one I was going to recommend is Angelica sylvestris vickersmead. Angelica sylvestris is actually a native, UK native plant, but vickersmead, again, is another dark-leaved form, so it's got these sort of dusky purplish uh, stems and foliage, and then rising above these cow parsley-like heads of white blooms. It's quite a dramatic thing, and again, it's that contrast of the flowers Mm. against the foliage. So those angelicas collectively were my second uh, plant. My third is the giant fennel ferula communis this is a real giant as well named it's a plant that comes from the mediterranean into asia it's quite a variable plant in the wild but it is a very dramatic perennial after a few years you'll get a flower stem produced great tall thing and covered in lime green flowers and this is all carried above mounds of very dainty filigree green foliage the foliage itself grows throughout autumn and winter it's a plant that likes a a hot well-drained sunny position and obviously from the sound of it and plenty of space it needs needs space to spread out by complete contrast is another mediterranean plant actually uh, orlea grandiflora now this 
is a true annual umble. And it's the sort of plant that grows in olive groves. You often see it below olive trees, perhaps mixing with little annual poppies and things in the Mediterranean in parts of perhaps in parts of Italy or Greece. It's a beautiful thing. The, the heads of flowers are rather like lace. In fact, that's its common name, the white lace flower. As I say, it's an annual, so you would sow it indoors between March and May at around 15 degrees centigrade. You can direct sow it outside um, in late summer, um, but it won't bloom until the following year. And it needs a really open, sunny site. I've grown it before, um, combined it with our own native corn cockle, which has pink flowers, and that's a very pretty uh, combination. My fifth choice is another giant actually and quite a rare plant in cultivation still but if you can get hold of it it's definitely worth growing it goes by the very awkward name of Molopospermum peloponnesiacum and as you may be able to tell from the name it comes from the southern alps and the pyrenees it's a true perennial so it comes back year after year and the thing I like about it, actually, is when it first emerges, the whole plant dies right down to the ground in the winter. But then in the spring, you get these incredible sort of muscular shoots coming up through the ground. They're often bronze-tinted, and they sort of open almost like a parasol into a mass of finely divided leaves, and forming a really lovely, a really beautiful mound of foliage, not, not quite unlike anything else, really. And then um, as the year goes by, um, so into early summer now, those are topped by heads of white flowers. Although the mounds are large, it's not actually especially tall. The flowers don't tend to be held on very high stems. It's a good plant for a gravel garden. It doesn't want too much drought, though. It needs... It needs to be kept reasonably moist at the root and actually it will grow in a little bit of light shade, perhaps with a bit of cover from deciduous trees. And I wouldn't say it's a great plant for a herbaceous border because it dies down quite quickly in late summer. Um, so you can be left with a bit of a gap, but as a sort of plant in a, in a, a more open situation, it's a great thing. Um, the last plant I'm going to choose is much more easy to obtain, probably known by a lot of people, but I couldn't ignore it. It's the good old bronze fennel, Funiculum fenic- vulgari purpureum. The reason I've chosen it is because it, to me, is a plant for almost all the seasons. You've got the foliage in the spring, which is, you know, this billowing mass of bronze, finely divided bronze foliage, like a cloud almost, and it, it makes a great foil for things like tulips and alliums then in the summer you get those flattened heads of yellow flowers on tall quite wiry stems and if you don't cut them down then in autumn and winter you get the seed heads um, which are quite architectural actually obviously it seeds quite freely around the garden and you'll get some green seedlings coming up i quite like that actually having the green and the purple together it's quite a nice contrast the two together it's a very easy plant. It's good for gravel gardens and reasonably long-lived. It lasts three or four years, but you always get seedlings coming up, so you can just whip out the old ones when they start to get a bit tatty. That's my last plant, so I hope you enjoyed those. Phil Clayton, Assistant Editor of the RHS Monthly Magazine for Members, The Garden. As May gets into full swing, there are countless RHS attractions and events to enjoy in the glorious spring sunshine. Here are just a few. At RHS Garden Rosemore on the 22nd of May, come and see tutor Nigel Pinhorn identify bird species through their plumage, song and behaviour, as well as details of folklore, habitat, the history of ornithology and avian literature. Visit RHS Garden Hyde Hall's open-air cinema on the 23rd of May to see E.T., the extraterrestrial, by an idyllic lakeside setting. The cost is £12 per person and booking is essential. 
Learn about the basic principles involved in the construction of a traditional dry stone wall and try to construct one yourself at RHS Garden Harlow Car on 30th of May. Tea and coffee and all workshop materials will be included. From the 4th of June at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey, you can attend a two-day course on designing detailed planting plans. Designer Andrew Wilson shows how planting is initially structured and a basic palette selected, and students will develop their own ideas in readiness for the second day. The course includes a light lunch. Full details of all these events and more are on the RHS website. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens what's on. Now, if you're a regular listener to the RHS Gardening Podcast, you already know that members of the RHS Gardening Advice Team regularly answer your gardening questions. As you can hear, we receive questions by phone, also by email and letter. But the team also answers gardening questions in person at our RHS shows. Hello there, uh, my name's Kirsty Angwin. Uh, I've come from the Surrey Hills, quite near the new oil find in Hawley. Um, and I've got a question about my daffodils, please. Primarily, I want to know why my daffodils haven't really flowered very well this year. They've been very patchy. Some have been good, some haven't. Well, uh, hello, Kirsty. Uh, we know each other. Kirsty is one of our volunteers, and the RHS uh, relies heavily on hundreds of volunteers who help out at lots of events and uh, activities at our gardens and elsewhere. And um, Kirsty's asking a question that we've had a lot of this year, particularly this spring blind daffodils. Now, it's not an uncommon question, it comes up every year, but it's usually where people are growing daffodils in a bit of grass, a bit of rough lawn or whatever, or if they own a park in their parkland, and the clumps simply get too congested. And what determines whether a, a bulb actually flowers is its physical size, and if the bulb is too small, it will simply not support a flower. And so that's a very common problem in, say, areas of grass. And the clumps eventually, in a bed or border, you lift the daffodils, dig them up, separate them, um, plant the bigger ones, and off you'd go again. But, but in grass, that's not practical. So normally you just replant in the spaces in between. But this year, daffodil blindness has been a much more common problem. And we think it's down to the fact that last spring into early summer, we had extremely dry weather that then became extremely dry and hot. And daffodils are unusual. Although they're a bulb, most bulbs, they tulips, they, they like really dry, hot summer conditions. And a, and a bulb is an adaption to dry soil conditions. But the daffodil is more a uh, bulb that's accustomed to damper, heavier soils. But th- it seems that that very dry spring, early summer, the bulbs were not able to sort of get back up to flowering size before the foliage actually withered away. All other things being equal, again, it does seem surprisingly dry at the moment, but if we get a decent amount of rain, hopefully those blind daffodils will have done enough growing that they can actually get back up to flowering size. Um, but that remains to be seen. But certainly this year, very common problem. Thank you very much. I'll leave them and see what happens next year then. I'm Andrew Booth. I live in Potter's Bar, Hertfordshire. I just asked, why haven't I got box blight? Because you hear a lot about it. And... Uh, I, I have got some old plants, but I take cuttings every year from them. That's just a perfect way around of doing things, because if you actually go out and buy some new plants, it can come with it 
What happens on nurseries is they spray them to keep the disease under control, you know, just in case it has got it. They do it as a preventative measure. And so what happens, unfortunately, or what can happen, unfortunately, is when they arrive in our gardens, of course, we don't spray them, and then the disease is allowed to develop. But if you've already got plants in your garden from years and years ago, it is unlikely that the disease will come in on the wind. It's, it's not so much a wind-blown um, fungal disease. It's actually, it actually travels uh, via uh, rain, raindrops from disease material. So you, I won't get it if other people have got it in the area? Perhaps. Unless you've got your garden open to the public, uh, as under the National Garden Scheme or something like that, and then it can, act, it can come in on people's feet. Yeah. But, it, but if you don't have it, you probably will remain not having it. OK. Thank you very much. Hello, uh, I'm Pat Ridpath. I'm a member of the RHS. And my question is, we've got a stump for a London plane tree in our garden, which is still sprouting leaves and we have we can't do anything about our neighbors gardens because they've got plane trees in so we have a real problem with baby ones but i really wanted to know what's the best way of getting rid of the stump you can have it ground out so that obviously the stump's lower but that won't prevent the problem with the shoots coming up everywhere so all you can really do is keep spraying them with a glyphosate based weed killer so glyphosate is the active ingredient in products such as roundup or tumbleweed um I mean, even digging, even digging them up is probably un- unlikely to help. Um, but if you keep spraying them, they will go away in time. Having a stump in the garden isn't such a good idea in general either, um, because it can uh, encourage. If honey fungus is in the area, it can actually encourage it to take hold. So, if there's any chance of actually getting a stump ground down lower as well, that would be really good. Okay, and what? How about these um, Roundup and so on? Because we've also got a pond with frog spawn in. It's no problem because the chemical stays within the root. It's systemic. You spray it onto the foliage, or indeed the cut, the cut um, wood, and it stays within the system of the plant. It doesn't um, go into waterways uh, okay. as long as you don't put it in the waterways. <laughs> oh, that's great. Thank you. I'm Madeline Hughes and I live in South London near Crystal Palace and it's very clay and the garden, I've got this all over um, and I didn't know whether it was a weed or um, a plant. Yeah, now the lady's brought in this this sample, it's definitely a plant. Now whether it's a weed or not, well that's open to whether you fall in love with it or not. It's a little plant, um, very succulent, it has... uh, very nice little yellow flowers uh, probably no more than three quarters of an inch across yellow flowers lots of uh, petals there and the leaves are heart shaped and on quite uh, I say succulent little stems it's very low to the ground uh, probably no more than uh, two or three inches high um, and actually it's celandine lesser celandine and um, it's generally regarded as a bit of a weed because it spreads very freely both from seed but also the plant grows from little bulbs or bulb bills. And if you try and dig it up, you'll, you'll dig up most of it, but you'll always leave behind some and they will regrow and um, it will self-seed. And so in that respect, it can be a very difficult weed to eradicate in the garden. What I would say, and it's not e- an easy one to kill with weed killers either, because um, the bulb bills and so on give it some resources, it often grows back. 
The one thing in its favour, I say, pretty yellow flowers, but it does die back very early. Once the weather starts getting warm, it'll show up in spring, you'll have this nice carpet of these bright, shiny green leaves and these yellow flowers, and I say, it can be a bit of a pain, but it does die back early. So what I would generally say, it doesn't compete with other garden plants. And if you find trying to treat it with weed killer or dig it up is impossible, which some people do, I just live with it. Remove what you can, but generally, come early summer, it'll be going back, and by the middle of summer, you won't even see it. Okay, as long as it doesn't interfere with other plants, that's fine. Thank you. Hello, I'm Susan Mason, and um, I'm gardening for a little school in London, and I think I've got honey fungus in the garden. I was wanting to show a few photos (laughs) to see if um, you thought that might be... I mean, I've got about several... Plots. That's an amelanchia. Okay, so I've got a photograph here on the mobile phone of uh, the lower part of an amelanchia, and uh, it's quite far away, but I can home in on it, and I can see that the bark has—you've actually peeled the bark away, or it's fallen off. Yes, well, it was peeling slightly, so I've peeled it a little bit more. Yes, it was. Okay, well, you, you've given us a perfect diagnostic, actually, which is at the base of the tree, the bark has come away, and there's a sheet of white mycelium underneath, which will probably, which will smell of mushrooms. and that is absolutely a classic unfortunate sign that you do have honey fungus on that particular tree you say you have other other things that are affected quite a few things affected um the thing is we had a big beech in the middle of the garden um that was taken down but because it was such a lovely old thing with a a diameter trunk of about um, five feet in diameter um they chopped it down to about 15 feet and then um, sculpted it with lovely animals and everything but um, it means they've left it in the ground and I think it must its root system must be killing various things in the garden do you know I think I've spoken to you on the phone (laughs) unless there are several schools around the London area which have sculptures made out of beech tree stumps and uh, yes I think we decided at the time that that's probably what had happened but yeah absolutely and so leaving stumps in the ground can indeed lead to honey fungus you know our gardens and properties have been gardened for so many years it's endemic and it's just around and about I think they, you thought the best thing to do is to keep well watered and really look after them and fertilise them. Yeah, ideally to choose things off our, off our uh, website which are meant to be more resistant to honey right. fungus. I say meant to be because anything woody is actually susceptible except for bamboo which really isn't ideal in many, many circumstances. And also herbaceous plants are very resistant so herbaceous plants are normally and grasses are a good bet as well. Brilliant, thanks very much. Right, my name is Ivor Mace. I live in the Rhondda Valley in South Wales. I'm up in London in the Shoya and I've just bought a nice plant of erythronium. And I'd like to know a little bit more about it. Okay, erythronium loves a woodland kind of environment. So if you make your own compost, it would love that mixed in with the soil that you plant it in. And ideally, uh, somewhere where it's part sun, part shade, and it, have you got that? Have you got that? Got just the place. And they should bulk up for you quite quite nicely. If they they, they come from um, well, they come from various areas. There are some that come from North America, and there are some some more Asian ones. Um, but either way, they should naturalise for you. They're really good doers as long as they've got that moisture at their feet. They don't oh. want to dry out completely. 
Well, they won't dry out where I live because we get 100 inches of rain a year. <laughs> Sounds absolutely perfect. Yeah, but it's I'm that like... woodland leaf mouldy kind of feel that oh. you want with your soil. Right, OK, well, I can do that for sure. Fantastic, thank you. Me and fellow RHS advisor Jenny Bowden helping visitors at the RHS Great London Plant Fair with their gardening problems. As well as free horticultural advice, RHS members also get free entry to all four RHS gardens. The opportunity to buy discounted and priority tickets to RHS events and flower shows, such as the RHS Chelsea Flower Show, and much more, including an extra gardening podcast every month for members. If you're not already a member, why not find out more about its benefits? Just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. So that's all we have time for in this edition. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, we hope you enjoy the May sunshine and flowers. For now, from me, Tony Dickerson, and all the RHS Gardening Podcast team, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Crest robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Crest robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit Cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.